0: I want to teach you something very simple about electricity this morning. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? So this fan is a fully functional fan, but in order for it to work, what has to be true? It has to be plugged in. And so my lovely assistant Vanna here has brought me, thank you, thank you, isn't he lovely, has brought me a cord. So what should we expect? When I plug in this cord, what should we expect to happen? It, It should power on and Here we go. Somebody turned it off. And voila! You have it. There is a functioning fan. But but there's a a funny thing, though. When I unplug this cord, I want you to observe carefully the fan. Ready? Everybody watching carefully? When I unplug it, what happens? Well, at least for a few seconds, what appears to be going on? Still working. There's no power flowing through it, but it looks like at least has the appearance of power going through it. Now, I bring this up, Vanna. You can take this away right now, please. Um, There he is, the lovely Vanna Akamoyo. Yes, very good. Um, I bring this up because, in a sense, in Colossae, that was exactly what was happening. There were these false teachers that were running amok in the city, and they were encouraging people, in one sense, to disconnect from Christ, to unplug from the Lord. And what made it tricky was that they had the appearance of power. In other words, these false teachers are going around, and it looked like their false teaching was working. It looked like it made a difference in people's lives, but the reality is, is because they were unplugged from Jesus, there was no actual spiritual power. It was only the appearance of spiritual power. It was an artificial or an alternative Christ that wasn't the real Christ at all, and therefore cut people off from real connection to God. Well, so what was going on in Colossae? Well, I, I need you to help me here participate so we can get a, a picture of what was going on in Colossae. Like I said, there was, there was false teachers all over the place and they were all trying to win people to their heresy du jour, their heresy of the day. All right, so we're going to pretend we're false teachers here for a moment. So on the one hand, there was the philosophy crowd, and you folks over here are going to be the philosophy crowd. And the philosophy crowd, they believed that the way to real spiritual enlightenment, the way to really connect with God was through sophisticated wisdom, okay? So I need all of you over here, when I point to you, you say philosophy. Ready? Philosophy. You're not very committed. One more time. Okay, very good. Then on the other hand, there was this tradition crowd. They believed that celebrating the Jewish festivals and rituals and aestheticism, denying yourself by diet and other things, that was the way to really, to really be a godly person. So over here, you're going to say tradition. Tradition. Some of you are humming fiddler on the roof right now, aren't you? Yes, I see it. I see it. So over here was... And over here was tradition. tradition, right? Yeah. Then there was a third group and worship team. Where are you? Worship team. I I see you. There's seven or eight of you. So I need you guys to be loud. There was a third group who, who believed that the real connection to God came through mysticism angels and demons and a fascination with visions and signs and wonders. So mysticism was their heresy du jour. So worship team, when I point this way, you're going to say, mysticism. oh, you guys got to be super committed because you're small in number. Ready? Mysticism. Okay. All right. So over here we had. Philosophy, tradition, mysticism. Okay. Jossie, come up here. So here is a typical Colossians. Here's Jossie. He's just a Colossian going about through town. And as he's going through town, there's all these voices screaming. So over here, people are screaming. And... And Paul sees poor Josie and he's going, What what am I supposed to do? And it's like the Apostle Paul waits in, and I want everybody to, to scream your heresy as loud as you can several times right now. Go. And Paul goes, Christ is enough. He's enough. Thank you, sir. He's enough. He walks into the scene and all of these people are saying, yes, Jesus is nice, but what you really need is philosophy or tradition or mysticism. If you really want to be godly, you need all these things. And Paul steps in and says, no, no, the sufficiency is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We see this very plainly in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 3. Look at what he says there. This is Paul speaking, in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So why are you telling us, Paul? Verse 4, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. In other words, to put it super crystal clear in Paul's mind and in the biblical author's mind, Christ plus nothing equals everything. You don't need more than Jesus. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Then Paul goes on to urge the Colossians to stay connected to Jesus. Don't unplug from him. Stay plugged in because that may look like power. Philosophy and tradition and mysticism may look powerful, but it's not the real deal. Verse number six. So then, just as you have received Christ as Lord Continue to live in him. In Paul's mind there, you live as a Christian the same way you become a Christian. You live as a Christian the same way you became a Christian. That is, since you became a believer by putting your faith in Christ and Christ alone... You live as a believer by continuing to put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Or to put it very plainly, once again, nobody ever outgrows their needs for Jesus. You never get to a point in your spiritual life where you're like, yeah, 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 I got that Jesus thing. Now let's move on to bigger and better things. You never arrive there. There is no land in the Christian life where Jesus is not absolutely essential. And this is actually terribly good news. You say, why is that, Ryan? Why is that good news that we never outgrow our need for Jesus? Because it means no matter where you are on your spiritual journey today, every single person in this room, I would contend, every single person in Atlanta, I would argue, every single person in the world has exactly the same need, namely to put our faith more fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest need of every person in this room. So if you're checking out Christianity for the very first time, like if this whole church thing is new to you or reading the Bible, you've never done that before, great, because you know what your need is? It's the same thing as me, namely to put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been away from the church for, for years and maybe you feel a little bit ashamed or you're not sure if you even want to come back, Look, your need is exactly the same as my need. I'm a pastor, for Pete's sakes, and you know what I need? I need to put my faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you have not been walking with the Lord, you too need to put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, some of you dear godly brothers and sisters who have walked with Jesus for decades... You know him intimately. You have read your Bible daily for years and years and years. You know what your need is. It's to stay connected to Jesus. Your greatest need today is put your faith ever deeply in the work and person of Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ is not just the front door to the Christian life. It's the whole house. We never move on from that. It's not just how you become a Christian, it's how you live as a Christian. We walk by faith and not by sight, and there's never a time where that won't be true, except for maybe in heaven, because Jesus will be right in front of us, and we won't need faith anymore, because we'll see him. In this world, we live by faith, which leads me to my point today, which is simply this, we must stay connected to Christ. That's what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians. Stay connected to Christ. He drives this point home in verse number seven. Look at what it says. It says, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Did you catch the word pictures there? Paul says believers should be like trees with their roots sunk down deep into Christ. That's the first imagery, being rooted in him. If you are a Christian, you should sink your roots down into Jesus and keep pushing those roots further and further down. Then it also says, built up. Believers should also be like buildings who find their strength and stability on the foundation of Christ. Listen, a building never moves off of its foundation, right? If it does, what happens to the building? It topples, it crumbles, it cannot stand. In the same way, if you're a believer, you never move on from Jesus. You're always building your life on that foundation of Christ. Paul's saying, look, don't move on. Don't go to bigger and better things. Just push deeper down into the most important thing. Sink your roots into Jesus and build your life on his work on your behalf. You just can't get much more connected than those imageries. But this raises a question. Why is Paul seemingly so jazzed up about being connected to Christ? Or to put it another way, what gave Paul such confidence that Christ was enough? You see what I'm saying? All these false teachers, they're offering alternative ideas. Why does Paul seem to be so adamant that these ideas stink and that his idea, being rooted and grounded in Christ, is the only idea. Why does he bribe this point home so hard? I think, I think that that is exactly the question that Paul is trying to answer in chapter 2 of, verse of Colossians. And I would argue that being rooted and built up in Christ, staying connected to him, is as relevant for us today... As it is for those Colossians who lived in this swirling world of false teaching, you say, "What do you mean by that?" Well, although today you may not have false teachers screaming, "What?" You guys are really poor, false converts, really poor. Or Or... Wow, these guys are really committed. Let's talk to them after the service rod. They're too easily convinced. There are plenty of voices out there in our world that are saying things like this. Christ is not enough. See if any of these sound familiar. Of course, God saved me because of Jesus. But if he really loved me, wouldn't I be better off in my finances? Wouldn't my life be in better shape right now? Or, I mean, I know Christ accepts me, but I really feel like I need other people to like me as well. Is there anything really wrong with that? I understand there will be eternal joy in heaven with Christ, but honestly, I don't see how that's really relevant for my life today. Yeah, one day i have joy in God, but what's that have to do with tomorrow when I got to get up and go to work? How can I have joy in this world? If any of those sound in the least bit familiar to you, then those are voices speaking into the world saying this, Christ is not Enough. And I think the Apostle Paul would have a word for us today. Say, no, it may not be philosophy or tradition or mysticism screaming down your throat, but there are voices that are tempting you to think that Jesus is not enough for you tomorrow. So what does this passage of Scripture, how does this passage encourage us to stay connected to Jesus? I just want to give you two reasons this morning, and I think based on this passage of Scripture, what the Apostle Paul would say, two reasons to stay connected to Christ. Reason number one, because Christ is incomparable. Paul's first reason why we should stay connected to Jesus is simply because of the surpassing greatness of who he is. There is absolutely no one like Jesus. He is literally incomparable. He is in a category all by himself. Look at verse number three. In Christ, in him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It would be difficult to give much higher praise than that. how can you say more than in one person all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden? Well, Paul gives it an old college try in verses 9 and following. Look there, if you will, with me. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him. When you were circumcised, not done with hands, by putting off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also Also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you were also dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. I mean, let me sum up. Jesus took on flesh, becoming the perfect mediator between God and man, verse number nine. Jesus, the ruler of the universe, resides in his people through the ever-present spirit, verse number 10. Jesus made those who trust in him new people by cutting away the old person that they once were, verse number 11. Jesus conquered death and empowered those who trust in him with resurrection power, verse number 12. Jesus rescued his people from spiritual death and gave them spiritual life, verse number 13. That alone is the greatest resume of all time. And Paul's not done. He then employs two extremely powerful images to further substantiate the greatness of Jesus. Verse number 14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And catch this. And took it away by nailing it to the cross. In the ancient world, like today, when a person broke the law... Or defaulted on a loan the charges as well as the penalty for those charges would be written down in some sort of official document so your charges your crimes your wrongdoing and the penalty associated with those things would be written down so all of us have these things right We have all these charges that are against us written down. And what Paul says in this passage is that it's like Jesus kind of went through the class like a teacher in one sense. Uh, I'll take those. Okay, hand that in to me and hand that in to me and I'll take yours as well. And he walks over here and he says, uh, can you hand those in? I'll take those charges. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, he took those charges. He nailed them up on the top of the cross He stretched out his arms and he died underneath them. I mean, the symbolism is difficult to miss, is it not? It's as if Christ is saying, all your wrongs, all the charges and the penalties that stood against you, I took them myself. And I put them on my cross and I bore the penalty that you deserve, thus rescuing you from the penalty that you deserve. Jesus literally died the death we should have died by taking on himself all the penalties that you and I deserved. Look, what do we call those things? In today's, in modern vernacular, what do we call those charges? We call them a rap sheet, right? It's all the things that you've done wrong. And it's all the things that stood against you. You have a rap sheet in one sense before the Lord. Literally on the cross, Jesus took the rap for us. It's what the cross is all about. Jesus taking the rap that you and I deserve. He was not the guilty one. We were the guilty ones. And Jesus laid down his life to rescue us from our sins. But he wasn't done. Death was not the final word. Look at verse number 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. In Roman culture, In the days before ubiquitous news coverage, when a general won a victory, the way he would announce it was by bringing the enemy captives back and marching them through the streets of a city. In essence, you would think of a ticker tape parade. Here comes the vanquishing, conquering general and his troops. And at the end of the procession would be the enemies that had been defeated through his victory. What this passage is basically saying is that when Christ laid down his life on the cross and rose victoriously over the dead, he won. He was not the victim. He was the victor. He triumphed over everyone who would ever dare stand against him. But I want you to notice something there. Who was it? that Jesus vanquished through his resurrection. You notice in the verse there, it says that he won over the rulers and authorities. What's that all about? I mean, who is Paul talking about there? Well, remember, the third group in, in Colossae, the false teachers were what? Mysticism. They're getting worse. Ben. We really need some pastoral counseling with him. He is too excited about this. Yes. They were fascinated with angels and demons and visions and all the spiritual realm. They were fixated on that. And Paul says here that when Christ rose from the dead, he dominated or or incapacitated the rulers and the authorities. Who is that? Well, if you flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, the parallel book to Colossians, you get a very plain picture of who Paul has in mind there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so this is not talking about people here, but against rulers, against authorities, same two words exactly, against the cosmic powers of darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Okay, so so buckle up. Here's what happened then. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus not only saved his people from their sins, but he decimated the spiritual forces of evil. Not, om- not even the devil himself, not even Satan and the host of hell could stop or stand against the resurrection of Christ. In his work, Jesus declared himself both the Savior and the victor. He died not just to rescue you, but to conquer every enemy that would dare raise his hand against you. Jesus is incomparable, brothers and sisters Look, you can trust in him You can put your hope in him You can stay connected to him Because he will never let you down Man, a couple of, several weeks ago A number of us had the opportunity To go to the Dominican Republic for a missions trip while we we're there, we, we notice that many of the houses there are equipped with what they call converters. These are essentially like large batteries wired into the house's electrical system. And the reason that they have them is because the electricity routinely goes out simply because the power company is not able to generate sufficient electricity. So all of a sudden the lights will be on and then click, they'll go off and boom, in comes the converters and you'll hear this kind of hum in the background. Look, that is not the way Jesus is. You will never run to Jesus and find him lacking in sufficient power. You will never, ever find him running out or unable to generate the electricity you need or to put it very plainly, those who trust in Christ need no backup plan. There is no plan B for Christians because if you trust in Jesus, he will always, 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 always be enough. What else could he do, brothers and sisters? What else could he do besides rescue us from our sins and kick the devil in the mouth? What else could he do to prove himself trustworthy when we need a mediator? He became the God Man, verse number nine. When we needed power, Christ became our indweller, verse number ten. When we needed transformation, Christ became our transformer, verse number eleven. When we needed spiritual life, Christ became our resurrection, verse number twelve. When we needed forgiveness, forgiveness Christ became our forgiver, verse number thirteen. When we needed release from our debt, Christ became our substitute, verse number fourteen. When we needed deliverance from our enemies, Christ became our champion. Listen to me very carefully. No deficiency in you is greater than the sufficiency in Christ. There is no problem that you have that Christ does not have the ability to solve. So stay connected to him. He is incomparable. He can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That is what Paul is urging here. Don't add to Jesus. Don't replace Jesus. Don't unplug from Jesus. He is enough for every issue that you might face. Stay Plugged in to the Savior. The admonition is simply this. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep hoping. His promises are true on the day you first believe and they remain true today. Jesus will not let you down. Number two. Paul not only gives us a positive reason for staying connected to Christ, namely that Christ is incomparable... He gives us a negative reason, namely the alternatives are incapable. Look at what Paul says about putting confidence in other things. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regards to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Tradition right here, that's what's going on. These are a shadow of what was to come. They're just shadows. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and worship of angels. There it is, mysticism. Claiming access to visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendon grows with growth from God. In essence, Paul is saying simply this. These christ alternatives they're just shadows they don't possess any real spiritual power connection to god does not come through philosophy or tradition or mysticism it only comes through christ then paul goes even further verse number 20 if you died with christ to the elements of this world why do you live as if you still belong to the world Why do you submit to its regulation? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They're human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body. Notice this last phrase. Pay careful attention to this last phrase. They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. To put it simply, these alternative Christs don't work. Some of you have been there, done that. You've tried other things outside of Christ to make yourself different, to make yourself change, to experience spiritual power. And Paul is saying, listen, don't waste your time. They don't even work. Not only are they untrue, there's no real and lasting power in them. Philosophy does not fundamentally change your character tradition cannot cause you to love god mysticism does not make your heart different alternative saviors cannot save you need saving and these things can't save you i need a savior and mysticism or philosophy or tradition or whatever else the world offers cannot rescue me from my sin or myself and don't we all know this to be true don't we? Who of us here have not attempted to change through willpower? Or positive thinking? Or you, some of you who grew up in the church like super spiritual sounding prayers. You know what I'm talking about? You know one of the ones where you grab hold of things so tight that your knuckles turn white and your face gets strained? Oh, Lord, help me! We've all tried it. And we all know it doesn't work. Adding to Jesus doesn't fundamentally transform you. The reality is, is that alternative saviors don't cut deep enough. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a beautiful story from C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in that story, the, the, the main character in that book, his name is Eustace Scrub. He's a rotten boy. He has a rotten boy name. He is a rotten boy. And and somehow during the course of the story, Eustace gets turned into a dragon. It's just kind of a, a revelation of who really is. He's got a dragon heart and he turns into a dragon is what happened. And and at some point through the story, Eustace begins to have a change of heart. He wants to repent, as it were. He's like, I don't want to be a dragon anymore. I don't want to act like this. So you know what he tries to do? He tries to tear off his dragon skin. He tries and tries and tries and every attempt fails. Nothing works. He can't de-dragonify himself. And then all of a sudden, Aslan, the lion, the Christ-like figure shows up in the story and he meets Houston, and he says, I must do it. So Aslan comes, and he takes out his claws, and he digs them deep into Eustace's back. And here's what Eustace says. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. But isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we need? We need Christ to cut us so deep that we are fundamentally changed. I don't need a diet program. I'm not saying they're bad. I don't need to have stronger willpower. I need Jesus to change me. I I need something fundamental to happen to me, not just go to the gym more. You, You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't need just to arrange the furniture on a sinking ship I need Christ to revolutionize me and only he and he alone is the one who can do it. We don't need a Band-Aid. We need a heart transplant. And the only person capable of doing that is not tradition or philosophy or mysticism as the Apostle Paul would say. Christ is sufficient. He's enough for you. He can change you. Some of you are at a point in your life where you feel stuck right now. You got a habit that's out of control You got a relationship that's in shambles You have a heart that is discontent and angry You have a mouth that spews poison You have emotions that are dominated by fear Perhaps from your deepest soul you are screaming Can I ever be different? When am I going to grow up? Is there any hope for me? Can I change? Brothers and sisters, the answer is yes. 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 But you won't find the type of change that you are looking for in the newest diet or exercise program. You won't experience authentic transformation in the hottest travel destinations or the latest and greatest experience. The power of your sin will not be broken by rejecting negativity or self-help. All of these things are well and good and in their proper place, they can be helpful and useful tools, but there are no shortcuts to real spirituality. You can't do it end around Jesus. You can't be different without Christ. He and he alone has the power to cut you deep enough. To change you at the level that you need to change. As the old song says. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You know the chorus? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Why? Because all of the ground is sinking sand. Nothing else can save me. They're all empty. They're all hollow. They have this promise of power, but they don't have the real deal. Christ and Christ alone can rescue me. I wonder if there are some in this room who are like that unplugged fan and you're quietly losing momentum. Sure, outwardly you look okay, But the reality is there is no power in your life. I want us to soberly ask ourselves, each and every one of us, have I unintentionally unplugged from Jesus? Am I running on fumes right now? I mean, do I look godly, but really there's no power in my life? Is my time in the word inconsistent? Am I tolerating known areas of sin in my life? Have I grown apathetic to the plight of those that don't know Jesus? Is my heart utterly unresponsive when I gather with God's people for worship? Man, if you answer yes to any of those questions, then brothers and sisters, we need to get the power back plugged in. You get back to Jesus, and realize going to church, tradition, thinking deep thoughts, philosophy, looking for some sign and wonder, mysticism, won't allow us to kind of shortcut Jesus. The power comes through Him and Him alone. So I want to urge us all to get plugged in. So you may hear all that and say, "Man how i mean i feel like jossie at the beginning of the sermon where people are just screaming at me all the time like there's voices everywhere that are causing me to wander from jesus i mean i go to workplace it's a godless place i mean have you heard my neighbors i mean do you know what it's like to be part of my family People are always like trying to urge me to get disconnected from Christ. What am I supposed to do? Well, there's good news for you, brothers and sisters. Go back to the text. Look at verse number 20 of chapter 2. Just look at this little phrase. If you died with Christ. Okay, pause right there. Now skip down to chapter 3, verse number 1. So if, you have been raised with Christ. See those? See the parallel there? If you died with Christ and if you have been raised with Christ. In both of these verses, Paul uses the word if, which can be a little bit confusing. But Paul is not wondering if the Colossian believers have died and raised with Christ. He's speaking hypothetically. He's kind of saying like this, if you've died with Christ, and you have, and if you've been raised with Christ, And you have. Look, the idea is Paul is essentially drawing the Colossians' attention to the deep connection that they already have with Jesus. So if I'm correct, and I am, see what I did there? If you are a follower of Christ, you have access to unbelievable power right now because you have died with Christ and you have been raised with Him. You don't have to generate or create or find the power. You simply have to tap into what is available. There is power. There is power ready to flow to you. Just get connected to it. You say, well, how do I do that? Three things, three things. Stay connected in the Word. Stay connected to Jesus in the word. Look. If you think you can be connected to Jesus apart from this book, that is the confession not of wise men of history. It is the confession of fools. I don't want to be unkind, but if you're not in this book, I am not surprised that you're struggling spiritually this is the word of God his speech to us can you imagine what type of re- re- relationship I would have with my wife if she talked all the time and I never listened to her things would not be happy in Mechanicville. that is not a relationship look sometimes we're like Oh Lord Speak to me. I need to hear your voice. And you know what God often says? I did. I did. Listen. Get your ears open. Because I have spoken to you preeminently through my precious word. The way you stay connected to Jesus is staying connected through this book to the word. There is, it is not a coincidence that this is called the word of God. And in John chapter 1, guess who else is called the Word of God? Jesus. You want to stay connected to Christ? Stay connected to the Bible, Two. Stay connected through faith. I said this at the beginning, but you, you can't ever move beyond faith in your Christian life. Every day is a, is a call. To trust Jesus more and more in the words of the great biblical scholar's journey don't stop believing or a little more clearly the old hymn come thou fount of every blessing oh to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be in other words Every day, draw more on all those rich promises of God so that you're putting yourself further and further in debt by faith. Write lots of checks in faith to the Lord. Just keep going further and further in debt to the grace of God. You must live by faith. What are you believing God to do in your life right now? Believe by faith. Third, stay connected in the church. The Lord wants you. The Lord wants you to make the people of God a priority in your life. One of the primary ways that God has designed for us to make it. Man, I want to hit the tape one day. Don't you? I mean, if you're a Christian here today, you want to hit the tape one day. And who of us here are beyond falling away from the Lord? None of us. And my best hope Of hitting the tape is to link arms with brothers and sisters who will help me to hit the tape who will hold me accountable who will confront me when I'm wrong who will show me examples of what it means to godliness live godly man if if you're not part of a church I'd encourage you to get plugged into a faithful Bible teaching gospel centered church it doesn't have to be gospel hope but please plug in somewhere Because if you've trusted in Jesus, you're my brother and sister, and I want you to make it. And the means that God has ordained for you to stay connected to Christ in this life is you have people that got your back. You have a family who looks out for you. So stay connected in the word. Stay connected by faith. And stay connected through the church. Those are the means that God would have us to remain connected to him. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your work on the cross, your resurrection, and that through it we have spiritual power. Lord, I pray today, as even as we celebrate the Lord's table here in just a moment, that we would remind, be reminded of our intimate connection to you. In the precious name of Christ, we pray. Amen.